Welcome to the Down About Down podcast from County Down, Northern Ireland, with your host Chris Scott, for your ears only. Welcome along to another podcast with Down About Down with me, your host Chris Scott. Thank you for joining me again and thank you for lending me your ears. In this podcast, you can listen back to an interview with local well-known butcher Alfie Murray, who uh, resides in the townland of Rivara, Ballygan in County Down. He's been in the trade a lifetime, and certainly since he was 16 years of age. Alfie shares his memories and experiences of his life in the trade. He talks about changes in the butchering trade, and uh, we also have a chat about the turkeys at Christmas, and all those lovely tips for Christmas preparations. Chatting with Chris on the Down About Down podcast. I took a wee trip out to uh, the townland of Rafara, out towards Ballygown, and I'm speaking to Alfie Murray. Alfie Murray is well known in, in the Killalay area and beyond, uh, and he's one of the butchers and has been there for many years. Welcome to the programme, Alfie. That's me, yes, thank you. Alfie, you have been in the butchery trade for many years, and I have no doubt things have changed over all those years. Tell me how you got involved as a, as a young fella. I went to Belfast as a 16-year-old, served my apprenticeship to John Shaw, Newton Ards Road, Craigie Road, Armour Road. You were reared in this area, though, first of all. I mean, you grew up here, didn't yes. you? I was born reared here in this area and grew up here, yes. I mean, what age were you when you decided to go to Belfast? 16. Was it a decision that you made, or was it something that your parents would have, would have liked you to go into and, and push you that way? No, it is a decision I made myself. Alfie, you were from a farming background, I assume. Mm-hmm. Probably that's what made me go into work with beef, work with animals. And in those days, uh, you know, local butchers, would there, would there not have been a local butcher that you could have went to? Well, there's plenty of uh, local butchers, but I thought I preferred to serve my apprenticeship in Belfast. There was a bigger variety of shops. And more up to date at that time. You know, in those days, Alfie, it wasn't a matter of just hopping into a motor car, I wouldn't have thought, and, and getting up to Belfast. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that was the mode of transport, or would you have to get the bus up? You know, how, how would you even have got to Belfast I in those days? By, I travelled by bus morning and night up to Belfast. Wow. So yeah. it, it was an early start for you then? Yes, well, we started about the shop opened about 8 30 every morning. And you would have got the maybe half past seven bus at Ballygan and took you out to Belfast and then you walk from wherever you got off the bus to where the shop was. It was Armour Road, I got off at Oxford Street, walked up Crumming Street at Armour Road and then when I got moved to Criggy Road, I got off at the Hellfoot Road and walked along the old old road, it's a new road now, mm-hmm. to uh, a shop, he had the shop was in Glenshara Park between Craigie Road and the Castle Ray Road in that area. Do you remember the bus fare in those days, Alfie? Do you remember much about that time? Oh, it was, wasn't very expensive, to be honest with you. And I couldn't just tell you top of my head how much it was, but it was a few, few shillings. Now, you were schooled here, uh, so yeah. that's a big step for a young fellow from the country to go to Belfast. What Can you remember your first impressions when you got there? Well, it was very daunting, to be honest with you. You know, and... Uh, Moving into a complete different area, different people, and then I got to like it and enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed the butchery trade, and I exactly like I loved it. To yeah. Tell you the truth. Uh-huh. When 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 you first started, then you were going in at an apprenticeship level. Is that the way the trade worked? 
I, whenever I start my apprenticeship, in those days, the man you worked for, I joined the union, I was told to join the farmers, the butchers union, mm-hmm. by a man, and then when I joined it, I got a call up to say that a man wanted to speak to me, mm-hmm. and that man was Jack Shaw, John Shaw. John Shaw had three shops, Ormer Road, Newton Arts Road and Craigie Road, and in those days, when you started working, he sent you up for five years, and he only could have got really ready because of dishonesty, bad workmanship, or mm-hmm. behaving badly, mm-hmm. and he sent you for five years, and you, you couldn't have left him unless he wanted to let you go. I remember Tim Greens of Lisburn mm-hmm. offered me a, a job, and I was fourth year apprentice with him, and I came in and told him I was leaving and got a job in Lisburn. He says to me, do you not know why have you signed up for five years? Mm-hmm. And when they signed you up for five years, you could do nothing about it unless, as I said, they dishonesty or something like that. Yeah. And that had it in the head then. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you were you were actually tied into a contract, basically? That's correct, yes. That's right. All the apprentices were. That's right. Uh-huh. So they were paying you, uh, I mean, wages? I mean, what would the wage have been in those days? Can you remember? £2.12 and 6 per week. And, you know, we've heard all the stories, and, and we're maybe... Uh, our kids are maybe spoiled a bit, but in those days, you'd have come back home and probably had to hand some of that over to mum. That's right. And then you had, I went up every year until you were a qualified butcher after five years, and your money in your hand home was £9.50 a week. £9.10 shillings, I should say. You know, you say there you, when you became, a, I suppose, a master butcher, but was that up to the man who employed you to tell you that you were now, or th- there were no exams or anything in those days, were there? Not really, no, but you just progressed. It depended on yourself. As he saw you had progressed and that you could work, and you were going, you just went on every year, take a step up. First job you did was cleaning. Then you put on the manufacturing. That was making sausages and mince roll and all this type of thing. Then after a while, you went, you went on to what you call the block. That was cutting up, learning all the different cuts, what this was for and that was for. Then when you knew that, you went on to a counter to serve customers. Mm-hmm. For then, you knew what you were talking about when asked you for something. <laughs> of course, because I have an old book here, Mrs. Beaton's cookery book. I showed you it earlier. And, you know, I don't know. Do do we know what all these things are now and those, the way we go to supermarkets and things? You know, you don't know because the meat came in and hang on the wall, it was cut down and the lambs, and you saw it. Now it doesn't come in like that, it comes in cut up, has to go into a cold room as soon as it comes through the door. Yes, yes. Nobody sees it. Yeah. In uh-huh. those days, now, I mean, my knowledge of the butchery trade wouldn't be good, but in those days, nowadays I'm seeing where a cow's raised on a farm, it's basically traced the whole way through to the slaughterhouse. Oh, yeah. and then it's, it, Was it like that then as well? It wasn't just as tight then as it is today. Traceability mm, okay. now, traceability when you're from your calf is born, has to be tagged and entered in a herd book. And the department is notified about that. And they can trace it from it was born to it was slaughtered. And, you know, whenever you started, was, the, was that man who, who was in charge of you, was he doing deals with local farmers? Was he going to cattle markets to buy in? Or how, how were they working? He went to Oxford Street, Allen's Yard, and bought all his cattle every Tuesday. And on Monday they bought the lambs. And the lambs were transported from there down to Stewart Street in the markets to the abattoir, old abattoir, and it was slaughtered then, and was brought up to the shop and to lo- and a lorry, covered from side to side, 
Andrew cried into the shop, three men cried each side of Adam and on a sh- their shoulder into the shop. And was put up in the, in the side of the wall, in the big bars, and then it was the butcher in the shop. They quartered it and put it in the cold room. So yeah. they were bringing it out for, boning out for, getting rid of for seal. Yeah, at, hygiene would have been a big thing then as well, as it is. And it, it seems to have been for 100 years because the ministry would have come in and checked. I mean, that, that would have been something you'd had to learn as well. Oh, yes, every so often we had public health inspectors come in, checking your fridge for temperature, your counters for temperature, walking around your premises for hygiene. If there's anything that wasn't right, you were told about it. You got a note, and it was maybe came back the next day, or maybe in a week's time to see it was put right. And uh, you know, going around the countryside for many, many years, I've heard the stories when my mum grew up. You know about the pigs that were on the on the local farm, and they were slaughtered there and then. The, the local butcher came out, done all the slaughtering. And there was always those images of him sitting with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth as he skinned the pig. That wouldn't have been happening in, in the butcher shops in Belfast. No, 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 no. That was com- smoking was completely... If you smoked, you had to go away to the toilet right into the backyard. And, and I, can, I can remember sawdust seemed to play a part of, yes. of those sort of establishments. Yes, sawdust was put, uh, brushed up every night and cleaned sawdust during the morning. That was to collect any blood or a small bit that landed on the floor because it was slippery, dangerous. And the white sawdust looked, when it was open, it looked nice and clean also. And of course the, the white tiles in the walls as well. I remember one of the for sale here in, in Killalay, uh when I think it was Mr Cheevers, um, sold, or he passed on the sold up. You know, they made a big thing about the white tiles in the walls. Yes. They represent cleanliness. That's correct. White yeah. tiles were easily kept clean and washed every week. You, you work with animals then from yeah. a very young age. Um, yes. It, we, I suppose it's different when you're reared on a farm. You know the, the eventual result because that's your livelihood and your yeah. business. Did you ever feel strange about it, You know, going into the actual butchery and that side of things rather than just rearing them? No, it never annoyed me in the least. Mm. I knew they were, they were being produced for food mm-hmm. and you get that into your mind and that's it, lambs the same. You mm-hmm. see the wee lambs happen about, you think they're lovely wee things. Yeah. Yet you never... Yeah, you never thought, you never thought twice. Yeah. So as you progressed then, you were in the city. How did you get to Killalay then? What what was the story there? The story was there that I, uh, the man who worked at Killalay, I knew a man called George Cargo. And I got to know George going in, talking to him, and he got to know us a Then he landed, he landed into my father's yard one night, in the summertime, and he came to the door and my dad says, there's some man looking for you. And I says, he's looking for me. So I go out, and it was George, and she says, there's a man here who wants to speak to you. A man called Elliot. And I says, right, now, Elliot, introduced himself as I have a butcher in Kelly Lay, and I'm looking for a... I have a guy who works with me, who's took a mantle, not well, and looking for a butcher. So I decided to... He says to me, come down some night and have a chat. So I went down and discussed conditions. And I said to him, no, I can't uh, leave unless I give my boss now a week's notice. So I get in and I told my boss I was leaving. Well, he says, I, I stop you before, I can't hold you this time. Because mm-hmm. I did my apprenticeship. And uh, I went to work with that man. And I was with him, I think I was with him about four years. And he took ill. And he was in the shop for about six months. I carried on my own. That was from Easter. And then he told me he was selling out. 
and that's how it came to be in Killyley. Well, can you remember what year that was? Oh gosh, that's a good time <laughs> now. Oh, that must be about 40 years ago, easy. Wow. 40, easy, easy. Couple more. And were those premises where your premises are now then, Alfie? That was the same premises, although I modernised it a lot. Yes, yes, okay. Uh-huh. So, you know, starting out on your own, that's a big thing, isn't it? It's very daunting, probably. And, and probably take a wee while just to get to know you in Killalea, people get to know you, or was that was that an issue? No, it wasn't an issue. I actually uh, liked Killalea and liked the people. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I must say, people supported me magnificently. After I took a shop over, the t- turnover started going up. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is I just held on, held on to us, and worked away and looked after the people, and the people looked after me, mm-hmm. gave them the best service I could, and the best quality I could, mm-hmm. and just snowballed after that. Yeah. You, you've probably seen a lot of change in your lifetime and uh, in, in, in the butchery trade. What would be some of the big changes that you noticed from from all those years ago as an apprentice to what they're doing now? Vacuum packed meat. It was a big change. Mm-hmm. B- bringing meat in vacuum, wrapped up vacuum pack. Mm-hmm. I yeah. never, I never liked it at all. As a matter of fact, I don't like any stuffing that's wrapped up in plastic. To be yeah. honest with you, would you have seen carcasses hanging up then? You know, would the, would the public have seen that whenever you were an apprentice, or was that still in the cold room, or would they have been all there and you'd have taken the, the whatever off them in front of people? They came up once the the, the carcass came in and sides, it was put up on the wall in the shop. And the big bars, mm-hmm. and people on a white sheet went around the bottom of it to keep people off it, and people could see it hanging, see it coming in with two men climbing on their shoulders. You see, and then they brought in that uh, law passed after a few years that when you bring your meat in, it must go into your cold room. So it's quartered on the van, both brought in, and then goes sit into your cold room. Right. It's rung on sides in the wall, but quartered into your cold room. And you, you throw it in your shoulder as quarters and brought it out, cut it up into whatever cuts you need and prepared it for the customer. Do you see the demand now change, though? I mean, what customers ask you for now is not what they would have been asking you for 40 years ago. Has it, Things have changed a lot, I would think. Oh, very much so. Years ago, uh, people would come in looking for stewing meat, stewing meat, stewing lamb, yeah, yeah. ox heart, yeah. kidneys. Wow. Those things are all gone now. Nobody, nobody asked for those, very few. Well, I, I can remember, you know, when I grew up, it was corned beef and tongue. That's right, yes. It was just, you wouldn't be, you, you, you could never see ox, ox tongue now at all. That was a big thing in the shop. You wouldn't see an ox tongue. Don't even think you could get one now. They might have what to do with them. And, and then, in my mum's time, she would have talked about, um, you know, the old butchers would nearly have put adverts in the local papers looking rabbits. So they would have they would have been looking game brought into them. Yes, well, there was no rabbits, uh, actually rabbits in my day, but there was pheasants. Mm-hmm. A lot of people used to bring in pheasants. You have to get pheasant for them, order pheasants. That's like a delicacy now, isn't it? Yeah, but that is complete. You wouldn't get that now at all. Wow. Nobody wants that amazing. now. Yes. So the top sellers now, I mean, what? What is it sirloin? Is it just the, the standards? It's the top sellers now would be, yes, sirloins, rump steaks, fillet steaks, lamb chops, sandaloin chops and things like that. You would very seldom ask anybody looking now for stewing meat. It's steak pieces, steak pieces. Whatever happened to bones for the dog? Well, it used to be you could have given somebody bones for a dog, but then with public health regulations... Ah, right. They stopped that. They stopped that. By law, public health stopped all that. Don't going out. So, I mean, that's the same. I, I can remember as a child the, the, the bone and the marrow uh, going into the soup, so you, that's not going to happen anymore. 
Uh, well, you still get marrow in the bone because still people like shin to make soup. And marrow is one of the things that helps your soup. You're not just an expert on meat because I know, and I've been there in your shop, and uh, you will get people asking you how to cook certain things, what do you need to do with this, and so on. So you have to be a bit of an expert, uh, a chef as well as a butcher. That is right. The younger generation of today would come in and ask you, I want to do cook so-and-so, whatever it may be. You get it for them, and uh, how long would it take to cook that? Mm. Whereas the older generation seemed to knew off the top of their head what they wanted, and you never got the same questions. And, and I suppose the other big changes are decimal currency. So when that all changed from pounds, shillings, and pence, uh, and into the new money, how did you find? How did you find all that transformation years ago? It was actually it was very awkward at the start. You got to use the decimalisation currency, the same as the weights it used to be pounds, ounces. Mm. Now it's kilos. That's right, that's right. So everything you get in is now done that way? Done in kilos. Yeah, that's it. So another big change? That's another very, very big change too. Yeah. I think that was the common market brought that in. You're, the, the tools of the trade then, when, when you were serving as an apprentice, how have those tools, I, I can just imagine, maybe not, maybe more in hairdressers where you would have seen them sharpening the, the knives and the leather, or the straps. I, I don't know what sort of tools you guys would use. You know, have, have things changed a lot over those years? No, not really. The butchery equipped still the same. The steel still the same for sharpening. It hasn't changed in the least. Saws, saws, chevers, knives are still the same. The, the future, I mean, the shop, I believe, has probably expanded a bit. You have other outlets now, you know, yes. for, for your own business at the minute, Alfie. Yes, it's got, uh, now at the moment, there's a lot of change took place. Other shops, like supermarkets, come and looking to you and supplying with meat, but they want it all wrapped, pre-packed, put to a vacuum packer and labelled and dated and whatever's in the packet. The name of the packet, sirloin, fillet, whatever it may be. Different world. Different world completely. The day after small butcher is finished, it's all taken over by supermarkets now. In in your day, I was looking through the old adverts, I I seen the word flesher and poulterer as well. Is that something that would have been used, a flesher? A flesher, yes. They called them fleshers, poulterers and fleshers in those days. And they it all to family butchers. Mm. Uh-huh. You, you're in a, a, an area of the Loch Shore now. Um, was fish ever ever considered in, in the business? Would you ever have thought of that? No, never thought of fish. I, just, I used to think fish and meat didn't mix with the smell of fish. Right, okay. So I never interested <laughs> in fish. Chris Scott on the Down About Down podcast. Alfie, I'm sure over all those years you've seen generations of people. If you've been there 40 years, you've seen generations of people coming in. You know, they are customers, but you probably view those people as, as other other individuals or friends, possibly. Oh, those are class them all as friends, not customers, just good friends. You see them every week, maybe twice a week, had a bit of chat about the weather, chat about how's so-and-so keeping well, or all this, yeah. and that was it. That's what I noticed when I first went in. Um, you know, it, it's it's the way you want service. You know, you ref, you referred everybody properly as Mister, and and you didn't know me at the start, but until you got to know me, then you know you we, you develop that relationship, and that's the important thing in business, isn't it, Alfie? Yes, known somebody, Mister, Mrs. Sloan, or Mister Sloan, or Mister White, Mister White, mm-hmm. and their family, and that's yeah, that's, that's how I addressed all my customers, Mister and Mrs. 
And now the younger generation seems to be more like Christian names. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's such a change, isn't it? That's it's a big change. change. Yeah. That's a change. And the leg of Corn Hamill came in, you knew him as Corn. Right, okay. Our Mr. Major Hernick. Yeah. Toddy Berry, Major. You addressed them as, 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 yeah. Major. Chatting with Chris on the Down About Down podcast. Now, uh, we had a look at the turkeys, uh, whose days are numbered, I would say, Alfie, at this this time of the year. And can I just say something to you? I have no experience with turkeys. The only, th- the only thing I can remember about a turkey was, and it's still to this day, it's in my mind, was that mum would have went out to the local farm, got the turkey. Don't think it was even plucked at that stage. But it used to hang, I think, by the feet in our shower at home. And i that's the only image, uh, the first image I remember of turkeys. That is correct. People used to do that. Get the trunk and hang it up in their bathroom. That was to keep it cold. That's why I never, ever knew that, Alfie. Never knew that. Now, those creatures out there are very noisy. There are some noise coming off them at the minute. They never, they never, they never keep quiet. They're always yapping, yap, 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 yap. A whole lot of them. Born in day and night. From you were a young fellow on, on the farm, you've always kept turkeys then, Alfie? My mother always kept turkeys, yes. But they were free range in those days. What I've seen today, then they're they're being kept in, in uh, you know conditions inside, basically. They're, they're kept in the whole time. They're never out. Going back to those early days, I I mean I've read old newspaper reports and how how turkeys were rare and things. The the days when they went out and they were they were fed on nettles and things like that. Can you remember those sort of days and how, how were they fed when they were running about in the in the wild as such? They were just fed with ordinary meal and uh, turnip. Potatoes, whatever there really was, that's what was fed to them in those days. The mixture. The survival rate in those days compared with now, was it something similar? No, I would say you'd have lost more in those days than you would now. Fox being the bigger predator in those days. Of course, yeah. And your turkey would have um, took out quick, much quicker than it would be today. All the antibiotics now they have in meal and that. You're talking to a guy from the town here. You know, they don't really know a lot, some of us. So, the life cycle of a turkey. So, when when, when do you bring them in? When do the hatch? How, how does the life cycle work? Hey, well, we bring them in. Uh, this hatcheries keeps producing turkey eggs, maybe thousands of turkeys. And they hatch them in incubators. And then we buy them in as day-old pullets, day-old chicks. And they're brought in and they're put in, in under heaters. And they're fed turkey baby starters from the start. Then we get so many weeks old, and you can take the heat off them. They go on to a more advanced meal, and then next add us what they call growers' marsh. Then after growers' marsh, they go into fattening, and they kept in fattening until they're slaughtered. So, in, in this last month, will it, will there be more feed given to them as such? Oh yes, as they get the older and the bigger, they eat more food. Oh yes, we get a lot more food now for night of Christmas. These are these are rare turkeys on your farm, so you can sell these in your shop, knowing uh, what they've been fed on, where they've come from, Alfie. That is right. Yes, we can let them know. We have where they came from, what they're fed on, and what the ages are, and then they can tell you before they're slaughtered what sex they are. Wow, isn't that amazing? Now, when, when people order off you, then you you you'll be starting to take these orders well in advance to try and work out what's going on, how many you have, and so on. Is that is that difficult to do? Uh, well, you really from year to year, you know the number of turkeys you sell, and then it gives you an idea the number to buy in. Well, usually you might buy maybe ten or twenty extra. 
you know, in case somebody else is looking for turkeys. And that's the way it goes. And fair enough, if you don't sell them, usually you would sell them again at Christmas, New Year's and slaughter them, put them into the freezer for, for Easter. Of course, that's, that's the way the world is now. But years ago as an apprentice, that wouldn't have happened. That would never happen now as an apprentice butcher. Just brought in what turkeys are sold and that was finished with. So in, in those early days, um, when, when you started as an apprentice, was the preparation of the turkey, so the turkey had to be killed at some stage. Um, in Belfast, in those early days, how was that done? No, and when we worked in Belfast, we went, we were all bought off farms, and they were slaughtered on the farms, and then they were brought down, <coughs> and all we had to do was, they were plucked, slaughtered and plucked, and we had to do was what we called dress them, and just take the out, clean them. So you'd done all that, I mean, you, you were hands-on with that? Yes, yes, and pulled, and the heavier, what we called the turkey bird, the, the cock bird, he left tough sinews, he used to pull the sinews out of the leg to tenderize the leg. All the tricks of the trade that no one knows about. So these days then, you, you will do that yourself, or do you get someone in to do that to help you to, to kill the birds before Christmas, or how does that work? No, we usually get about six guys in that does that game, killing turkeys and plucking an egg and does the plucking and the killing. And then they're taken down to the shop and put in the cold room, with thinners in them, and then and once they come out, the feet's taken off them, the head's taken off them, and they're dressed for the customer for the oven. So that is a busy week then, and in the, in the, in coming up to Christmas. So most people want them on the day before, two days before, of course. Oh, it's a hell of a busy week. Yeah. And getting the, the thing is, somebody wants a turkey twelve pounds or fourteen pounds. Getting maybe one twelve pounds exactly out of a whole lot. It's just, and they can only only so many at a certain weight, and that's the problem. So that the tips. I mean, I've no doubt you're asked, "How do I cook this? What temperature do I need this at?" There's so many different ways of doing them and basting the turkey and all those things. What are your tips for this Christmas? What would you be doing? Well, I just we would just <coughs> cook them as usual, give them twenty minutes to the pound, and then say maybe fifteen or twenty minutes extra to make sure it's cooked. That's the tips for cooking the turkey. Chris Scott on the Down About Down podcast. And, and just other tips for Christmas then. Uh, stuffing. Now, you maybe don't want to give any for making your own because you probably sell that anyway, Alfie. Well, uh, we sell it, yes, but we would do a pork stuffing there. Made from pork, put into a sleeve, a bit of pound weight, and that's very nice for stuffing. We do also the bread crumb stuffing, but something similar to the original way though. Everybody makes their own stuffing. Is it maybe getting to the stage in the world now, Alfie, where people just want sliced turkey on a plate with a few Brussels sprouts and, and you might have to sell it like that? A lot of places are doing that now. Yes, a lot of people just want the turkey breast and to me it's a waste of money because it takes the turkey cooked on the bone for flavour. Are you cooking your own house, Alfie? No, not particularly. <laughs> I avoid it as much as possible. I have enough girls here to cook for me. <laughs> What are some of the sauces that you like yourself on, on your Christmas dinner on the side? Really, not, not, not any one particular, to be honest with you. I just like a nice bit of good turkey breast, add it on the bone for flavour. Okay. And there's nothing as nice as with you, the bone that's left of your turkey to make turkey soup. My, my taste buds are watering just at the thought of it, Alfie. Alfie, can I thank you so much for taking part in the programme tonight? Uh, and, and I'm just going to wish you a, a happy Christmas. Thank you. The same to you and a happy new year. Thanks very much, Alfie. Thank you. 
Thank you again to Alfie Murray for chatting with me. The conversation was recorded in November 2021. If you'd like to come onto the podcast for a chat, then email me at downaboutdown at outlook.com. That's downaboutdown at outlook.com. Until we meet again, folks, stay safe. If you would like to get in touch with Chris at the Down About Down podcast, then email downaboutdown at outlook.com. You've been listening to Down About Down podcast, hosted and produced by Chris Scott for your ears only.